Coming to you live from the studios of KZSU at Stanford University, this is What Would Your Mother Say? Hi, I'm Susan Morris. Welcome to the show. I'm here with our panel mother for the week, Jonah Hamilton, and Stanford students, Topher, Adam, Jackie, and joining us for the first time is Dave. It's good to have all of you with us. Today's topic is the price of motherhood, what stay-at-home moms risk by giving up their careers to parent full-time. Here on the phone to talk with us about this is Leslie Bennett, a mother of two, a former reporter for the New York Times, and now columnist for the magazine Vanity Fair. Leslie Bennett is the author of The Feminine Mistake, Are We Giving Up Too Much?, the book, which takes a critical look at the price women pay for staying at home with their kids, has ignited a firestorm. She says that women are making a huge mistake by becoming stay-at-home moms, rendering themselves economically dependent on men. But if it's such a huge mistake, critics say, why are so many women doing it? Welcome, Leslie. Hi. It's good to have you coming on. What would your mother say? Can you describe for us what's the general argument of your book? Nobody ever really talks about the uh, incredible risks of economic dependency over the long term. And the other big factor here is that there's been a lot of coverage of opting out, women opting out of the workforce, as they have been doing in increasing numbers in the last few years. But there has been very little attention paid to how difficult it is for women to opt back in later on after a timeout. Uh, there are tremendous barriers. So I wrote The Feminine Mistake because I felt that women were not being told the truth about, um, first of all, how incredibly risky it is to depend on anyone else to support you and your children, and second of all, how much difficulty that they would have uh, when and if they did have to go back to work. That's the bad news part is the risks of economic dependency. The other half of the book is the good news, the benefits of work in addition to a paycheck, which are enormous. I think a lot of women really underestimate what they're giving up when they give up work, which gives you just such a wide array of rewards in life uh, and helps you define yourself as an individual in addition to in relation to your husband and your children. Uh, Family is wonderful. It's certainly been the center of my life, but kids grow up, and uh, uh, by the time women in this country are 60, two-thirds of them don't have partners. The average age of widowhood is 55, and we all know that half of the marriages end in divorce. So I think it's a big mistake for women to make uh, the family into their whole world because they pay such an enormous price for it later on in life. Leslie, one of the um, critics have pointed out, though, that, and I've certainly read about women who have lower-tiered jobs that aren't very satisfying, and they don't see much future ahead for them, and there's not a lot of daycare opportunities, and they're using up a good part of their salary or wage to to pay for child care. What about those women? I mean, do, do they take the same kind of risks when they drop out? Absolutely. Any woman who has kids and can't support them at a moment's notice is taking an enormous gamble with uh, her own and her children's futures. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic bracket you're in. Um, Obviously, meaningful, rewarding work is better than uh, a job that you hate. But I think one of the core problems here that I talk about in the book is that girls are being raised very differently from boys in this culture. Boys know, uh, as they're growing up, that they're always going to have to support themselves, 
whereas girls are raised to think that it's perfectly okay to give up a career at a certain point and uh, become a stay-at-home mother and depend on a husband to support them. And the majority of women are going to end up on the wrong side of the odds when they make this choice. So it's not a choice that works well for women and children, as your uh, neighbor's example proves. I mean, I, I hear these stories day and night. Uh, many of them, stories like that, are in the book. Um, but, uh, you know, whether or not your work is meaningful, a parent's first responsibility is to provide food and shelter for her children. And if you can't do that and something happens to your husband, you've got a really, really big problem. Ma'am, this is uh, Adam, another student at the table. I'm, I'm interested in sort of, I, I'm inclined to agree with what you're saying from the feminist perspective, but I'm sort of trying to um, wrap my head around maybe from the child's perspective. I know talking with my own mom, it was extraordinarily important for her to sort of like have a hands-on sort of like role in rearing me. And so if we're sort of, as you put it, sort of patchworking our sort of child care, I'm just curious some of your thoughts on, on whether the kind of the cost-benefit analysis there. Right. I think working mothers have been really terrorized by this sort of stigma that uh, full-time mothers are better moms and their kids turn out better. And one of the main points of my book was to bring to the fore the facts rather than just going around and around with the mythology. And the fact is that social scientists have been studying the children of working mothers and the children of stay-at-home mothers for more than 40 years comparing the two groups and trying to find that one group has an advantage over the other. And the sum total of nearly half a century's worth of research is that the children of full-time uh, mothers do not do any better than the children of working moms. It's just a myth. Uh, there are many other factors that predict the outcomes in terms of how kids turn out, ranging from a parent's consistent emotional availability to uh, socioeconomic status. Poverty is a major risk factor for kids. But whether or not the mother is uh, a working mom is not one of the factors. So, uh, you know, I think we all have to get over the idea that working mothers are jeopardizing their children by working. Working mothers love their kids just as much as stay-at-home moms, and they're doing something very important to try to protect their children's futures. Uh, hi, Leslie. This is Jonah, and I am the mom here. And, you know, I grew up in the, the 60s and 70s and grew up, you know, that's the time when things were changing, too. Uh, I was always raised, though, with the idea that you should be something. You should have a career. You should always have something you could fall back on, at least. And uh, I, I went with the career, and I have two teens. They're both boys, but I just don't see that the girls are buying into the stay-at-home thing. And I'm wondering about your statistics that show that the girls are being really told that they don't need careers. What can you explain those statistics, please? Well, there are an awful lot of um, there's an awful lot of demographic data in my book, but it is a fact that uh, for nearly 30 years there was a trend of increasing participation of women in the labor force in America, and in the last few years. That trend has reversed, and women are dropping out in ever greater numbers. And a lot of uh, people have studied, I mean, I've been speaking at uh, universities all over the country, and many young women today uh, just say straight out that they're going to give up their careers when they have kids. So there's been kind of a return to this way of thinking in recent years, and I'm very concerned about it because, uh, you know, the, the facts would indicate that most of these girls are going to be paying an extremely high price for making that choice. Kind of a backlash then. 
Well, it is. I mean, it's at, at the very least, it's kind of the pendulum swinging. I mean, it's a, an historical cycle um, that is very interesting because it is a reversal of what had been happening in previous decades. But there's no question that it's going on. Hello, this is Atof from the panel. When Susan first told us about the book, I thought it was going to be one of these, you can have it all, you can be a female CEO and go to all the kids' school plays. But No, I, I specifically say having it all is a dumb idea. Yeah, and, but as I, exactly, as I read more about it, I found it was more like, you know, you're a fool if you think you're just going to fall in love with a man, he's going to support you and your kids for the rest of your life, and you're not prepared <laughs> for any kind of contingency. But what I want to know is, are there, are there large swaths of women honestly believing that they, they're going to be trophy wives or that they're not going to have to uh, to punch the time card, so to speak? Or are these just women that kind of fall into the situation and don't really prepare for uh, contingency? Well, first of all, I haven't called anybody a fool. I am a reporter, and I'm just trying to, to uh, point out the risks. But, yes, there's an enormous number of women out there who, on some level, you know, and it, this may go back to the ways in which girls are socialized, you know, with the Prince Charming fairy tales, they really think that it's a viable option to, to depend on a man to support you. And the research uh, that's been done on the opting out phenomenon has found what I myself found in interviewing women all over the country, which really surprised me, which is that when women do this, they don't think about contingency planning. They don't think about negative, you know, things that might happen, bad luck. And when you ask them about those things, they really bristle and they say, well, I don't want to think negatively and, and uh, you know, I'm just going to, I'm sure my husband is wonderful and my marriage will always survive and I don't think that any of these bad things are going to happen to me. And, you know, really, if you just do the math, if you start with a 50% divorce figure and you start adding, adding on some of the other numbers, it quickly becomes apparent that most of these women are going to turn out to have been wrong in their predictions. But nevertheless, they have a very powerful although false, sense of security about their future prospects. It's sort of like asking your new fiancé or new husband to sign a prenup. <laughs> well, it is, and, uh, you know, we all know how difficult. I mean, the divorce lawyers say it's really hard to get people to think like that. Yeah. And women are very resistant. I mean, we all buy into the romantic mythology that, uh, you know, you find Mr. Right, and then that's it. And a lot of women uh, think that, Really, that's as far as they need to think. A lot of girls really don't get serious about um, trying to uh, plan for a long-term career that will be meaningful to them and that will support themselves adequately because they think that there's this escape clause. And that's a very dangerous way of thinking because in the 21st century, this is just not going to work out for females. Um, you know, the world has changed it was a dangerous thing to do 50 years ago. I mean, the women of the feminine mystique in the 1950s got blindsided by the divorce revolution in the 1970s, and a lot of them ended up absolutely stranded. Uh, but, you know, in the 21st century, nobody has job security. It's a very unwise choice for women to make. Well, Leslie, we're running out of time, but I have one closing question. What are, what are some, a few specific steps that a young woman should do to protect herself? as she's entering into marriage or motherhood? Well, I personally think that the difficulties of opting back in are so great that, that women should not opt out at any point. Uh, if a woman opts out of the labor force, she loses uh, nearly 40% of her earning power if she's out for as little as three years. And um, 
the only a minority of women ever get back to full-time jobs after they opt out. So what I think young girls really need to think about is, who do I want to be in the world? Yes, I want to get married. Yes, I want to have children. I'll be a wife and I'll be a mother. But I think young women really need to be encouraged to define themselves as individuals and to find work that is meaningful to them, that is well-suited to their talents. Because the research on opting out shows that an awful lot of the women who do it really hated their jobs. They never found a career that they liked or thought seriously about it. And I think women would have a much better chance of staying in the labor force and um, protecting themselves if they had meaningful work. A, a career that you love and have a passion for is just one of the uh, most fortifying things as you go through life. It's one of the most rewarding things. Children grow up very quickly. My, my kids are 15 and 18, and you know by then they have one foot out the door, and women who do not have their own work and identity suffer terribly when uh, the empty nest comes along. So I would encourage young women to think very seriously about who they want to be and not to regard marriage and motherhood as an excuse to sort of table that. Great. Well, thank you so much, Leslie, for coming on our show. Really appreciated it. Thank you for having me. We've been talking with Leslie Bennett's Her book, The Feminine Mistake, Are We Giving Up Too Much?, is available online and at your local bookstore. Take a look. It's thought-provoking. Students, what did your mothers choose to do? Now, Adam, you've talked about your mother helping your father with his business, but also being a teacher. Right, yeah. She I mean, she took off, oh, goodness, I think five or six years uh, before, I guess, and That's why you've after. turned out so beautifully, oh, Adam. Right. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, please say more, Susan. Yeah. Um, so, uh, no, she took off uh, quite some time, and then... And then um, went back to teaching after, um, but she, I mean, this is kind of the central dilemma that we look at because, I mean, of course, the women have to have children, so, I mean, there's going to be some sort of, like, hiccup. Jackie. So, two things. One is just a general comment, and then the other one is a personal anecdote, but the general comment, you, I am working in a biomedical lab where we are developing this thing around the lab, it's being called the Woomba, where it's an artificial womb, it's being worked on in a couple of different places, and actually, they think that if ethics people will pass it, you can carry around your baby in a little suitcase, like with wheelies and stuff, and like a baby docs. That's that's another topic. That, that is, <laughs> Jackie, okay. that, is, that is another that's semi-futuristic. <laughs> yes, but Definitely. it's actually happening. I think that's very exciting. And on a more serious note, my mom actually just talked to me last weekend about, I was like, I don't want to have kids, mom. I just, no, I don't want to think about it. And she said, Jackie, you come from four generations of women who all have used their resources superbly. Your great-grandmother used her resources and hired a nanny. Your grandmother used her resources and hired a nanny. I used my resources and hired a nanny. And someday you should hire probably three nannies. (laughs) So I think that, that that is a very viable option in the Bernstein women family. Sounds good. Topher, did your mother work outside the home? Uh, Yes, she did. She worked in medical records when we lived in Detroit, and then she took a job that was at a correspondence teacher's college on the campus of the private elementary school I was going to. (laughs) So I got to see her all the time. (laughs) Now, Um, so, and Dave, did your mother work as well? um, Yeah, she worked. uh, She she worked at the Attorney General's office in New York, and then until I was about five, she worked part-time, and then she decided she wanted to spend more time with us. Um, so I su- sort of saw two stages of it, and uh, initially I think she enjoyed uh, being at home with us. But um, she got, got that. Did she get that trapped feeling? By as the well? time I got to middle school, I think <laughs> she wishes she was still working part time, and 
for for kids, I don't think they want their parents home all the time either. Susan, Susan my mom is really opposed to like nanny stuff. And, I mean, I don't know what that is, and I've had a lot of conversations with her about it, and I c- really can't get a read on it. She's just, she really, like, just kind of looks down on it. And, I mean, I, I, well, I mean, coming from two moms, I'm, she did. She <laughs> did from, like, I mean, until I went to kindergarten, and then she, when I went to kindergarten, she got a job, like you do, teaching first grade at the identical school. At the, the identical well, the Adam, same school. are you an only child? I am. So, once you were right. at that level, she could go. Right, I, yeah, and she's also sort of in... Strangely enough, sort of opposed to like the big family thing and and that sort of thing. So I I mean it's a personal choice for like my mom. We're talking about very specifically like my mom, but she's just I just was curious what the what the moms had to say about the like the nanny thing, and sort of like the thinking about whether that was something that you were willing to do if you didn't if you just kind of had to do it that sort of thing. Uh, you know I I look at life like as I said you have to adapt if it works out for you. I have friends that have gone the nanny route and it seems like it it's worked out. I never felt like it was going to be something I wanted to do. I say I like hands on. Right. And my husband's that way too and that's why my ultimate thing was well you know maybe we can do this thing where when I can't be with the kids you can and we kind of made that work out mm-hmm. for the most part. So there was babysitting sometimes, parents, family, that kind of thing. I remember taking my um, my young baby, oh, a young kid to a babysitter over in Escondido Village at Stanford, and I picked her up, and uh, on the way home she said, Mom, what does it mean to say uh, when someone knocks someone off? <laughs> I said... I think it means that you're watching too much television because, I mean, I don't consider a babysitter or a graduate student at, at Escondido Village as a nanny, but that's right. what she was doing with my daughter, just plopping her in front of the television all day. And I I don't know. I've often seen nannies, not I, how many have I seen, but a number, they'll be walking with these kids in the stroller and they'll be, you know, talking on their cell phone. But so do mothers do all of this as well. But you do wonder what's going on. Uh, when the mom's away, does that, uh, Jackie, as you're looking ahead to use nannies, does that concern you at all? Well, I mean, I think that in a you know in a perfect world, I would I would have a job that I loved that I worked 60 hours a week at, and my husband have a job that he loved that he probably worked 60 hours a week at too. And we would have three wonderful kids who were all perfectly well rounded and perfectly raised and didn't have any problems. But that's come on, that's just not going to happen. You're not going to have a healthy marriage and a healthy child you know, rearing this, if you don't hire some outside help and use your resources, it seems dumb to me to expect that you can do it all. We are social creatures. We're supposed to be in networks where you all help each other out. And in our current societal structure, I just think that you need to hire help to get it accomplished. Well, how many of you have seen the mothers that Leslie Bennett was talking about pushing their baby carriage, and they're usually very fancy baby carriages, um, in the middle of the day and what have been some of your feelings? Boy, that looks nice. Boy, that looks sweet. I, I want that when I have kids. Dave, have you have you seen these women, first of all? The, the neighborhood I live in in New York is very, you know, there's stroller areas at the coffee places and stuff. Um, I, I mean, I'm going to sound kind of old-fashioned. I mean, I wouldn't mind if that's what my wife wanted. Um, I think it would also be really great if she had a career and I want a woman, any, a woman who I'm going to marry is going to be smart, intelligent, and you know, want a career, but at the same time, like, I wouldn't mind my wife staying home with the kids. I don't know. What about you staying at home with the kids? Can that, why is it always women? I, yeah. I don't understand this. I would love to stay at home with the kids. <laughs> Great. Let's get I married, would, Adam. I would love it. Sweet. I, I just love those, like, dads that you, like, see on, like, sitcoms and, like, 
all over the talk. I just love them because they're happens. so. You can see like how they they just like want to play with their kids, play like GI Joes all day. I would love to do it. There's a lot more of that Let's going on than I think you guys know. It happens a lot. Here, here's my question about staying home with the kids. I hear all the time about staying home with the kids. How how old do the kids get to the point at which you don't have to be home with them anymore? Because once they start going to school, they're at school for six eight hours of the day, and then got they've it. got activities you got to go to and all this stuff. Well, but I mean, seriously, do like people? Does a parent have to be in the house all day for all eighteen the first eighteen years of a kid's life? No, no. Topher, it's not a cat. I mean, I mean, it is a child that presumably you have some. You, you're invested, you know. I mean, you'd like it to, you know, probably have better manners than the cat. You know, maybe not be my cat. Maybe. I love it. I love it. Oh gosh. Well, listen, we're we're running out of time. I think we have much more to talk about on this particular subject. Um, when we come back, uh, we are going to discuss text messaging, how we use it, and what changes it's had on us. I'm Susan Morris. This is what we, this is. What would your mother say? We'll be right back. Welcome to What Would Your Mother Say? Coming to you live from the studios of KZSU at Stanford University. Hi, I'm Susan Morris. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about text messaging now. Today's panel includes our panel mother, Jonah Hamilton, and Stanford students, Adam Topher and Dave. And Sarah is joining us. Welcome, Sarah. Um, text messaging, in my opinion, is the best. I learned how to do it when my daughter started sending me these titillating text messages. Something good has just happened. More later. <laughs> Before a minute had passed, I had figured out how to text message back. What is it? Don't keep me in suspense. So besides teasing moms into attention, how else are all of you using text messages? Topher? I use text messages when I don't want to bother someone with a call. Like, if I call someone, I'm like, hey, you want to go get dinner? They're like, yeah, okay, I'll come over to your place. I'll be there at 7. I come down. I text, all right, I'm here, so I don't have to make them pick the phone up, you know, while they're getting ready or whatever. So it simplifies sometimes when I don't really want to talk to someone. I just want to let them know I'm here or we're doing this or whatever. Now, Dave, tell me, you you do text messaging in, to, in what situations? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think I use it pretty much in the same situations. I think... As what is... I mean, you know, in class, when you don't want to talk to people, I mean, the the main problem with text messaging, I think, is the accidental text message when you're thinking, you're you're texting someone about someone else, and you're thinking about that person, and then you type the person oh, you're no. talking about and send oh. it to them. That there's been three or four pretty bad instances. And All right, Dave, let's hear it. Come on. Yeah, tell us what you said. Well, if, okay, a friend of mine. This is really a friend of mine, not me. It's a girl. Uh, had a, a real thing for this freshman who she was working with on a project, and. Uh, she got a text message saying, like, yo, Tommy, really, you know, you, you got to hook up with, you know, Ginger or whatever this girl's name was. <laughs> and, you know, she she liked him, and then she saw that, you know, they were conspiring against her, these freshmen, and she was completely embarrassed. Long story short, she, she slept with a guy, like, a week later. But, but I think, uh, I think it was <laughs> what often happens see, to these See, text messaging, very helpful. They're very <laughs> intentional <laughs> text messages, and then these people play them off as accidental right, text right. messages. Right, right. Then there's all So they send these things, yeah. you know, like, oh, I really want to hook up with you. And then, like, oh, I didn't send it. My friend sent it. Because you can't tell who sent it? Oh, no, no. I mean, it says who it's received from, but who, I mean... But anyone. your friend they could had take the your phone. phone. I could take right. your phone, Susan, oh. and send oh. your daughter you like signed a message. signed email, I could just... Oh, my yeah. God. That is really... Okay. It's really <laughs> a nice meet. It's exactly... It's very comparable to our Facebook conversation from, what, a couple weeks ago, in the, in the fact that it just gives you a really, like, effortless, like, medium to flirt. 
mm-hmm. and it's sort of it's and if it doesn't work as it seems like it didn't work in Dave's friend's sister's cousin's case, <laughs> uh, then it's okay because it wasn't me. Yeah, and it, it was well, my and it's not it's not for, very formal, so it doesn't feel like much of an emotional investment. If you right. send someone a text message, you're not really putting yourself out there. You're like, oh, this took me ten seconds to type this thing on my phone. Okay, well, I, all right, here's a situation where a young woman and a young man are text messaging each other fairly regularly about fairly lighthearted things. Um, is this an indication of anything on either one of their um, side? Can you assume that there's some interest besides being, you know, friends? I mean, if I were getting text messages from from somebody when I was a kid and single, right? Um, I was Susan, a, I'll text you after. Okay, <laughs> you do that. It that sounds Susan like kind of like the little notes. Yeah, you could put it on the same level as that if you're yeah. getting a note. I mean, yeah, I, I would you. say it absolutely indicates interest. Anytime you're sending someone messages regularly and they're writing you back, then you're you're taking time. You're thinking about each other. Like I think that reflects. Okay, well, how far um, does the flirtation get with text messages? I mean, we've talked about phone sex. Can you have text message sex? Text message sex? Wow. Look at these ideas Susan. that Sumo she comes up out. with. Like yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm just really curious about that. What do you think? That I actually. Well, I haven't done any of this, so you tell <laughs> me, Dave. Of course not. Of course not. I was reading an article for a digital media class, and... Uh, in Japan, where kids don't really have a lot of opportunity to hook up in the flesh, uh, just girls and guys will use text messaging to their logical conclusions to <laughs> talk about whatever manga or hentai, and then you know, in, Jap- in, in, in Japan, in, in Japan, Japan, where there's kind of a, a more you know strict culture, there's not a lot of space in the home. So, and I assume there's some stuff going on. On, on a related note, I read an article on Wired.com a while ago um, about this new device they had. It was a vibrator that had two parts, and oh. it <laughs> a man could send a text message, and it was geared for men to be sending the text messages to the women. A man could send a text message to the woman who would have inserted this thing in the morning, and the text message would translate into Which some is this? type of <laughs> vibration. What kind of yeah. woman accepts to use this is what I want to know. I, I, I honestly know don't thing. understand. I mean, the kind of woman that I would be if I was a woman to her. <laughs> that's the kind of woman. <laughs> that is phenomenal. Sarah, Not the kind of that's Sarah, progress. That's that's progress. progress. Sarah, that is coming from you. That's very... <laughs> it was on Wired.com. No, what's Wired.com for the magazine? It's... it's yeah, it's a magazine. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, I, right. I mean, I read it online. Okay. All right. Well, but the idea is that you have the anticipation building all day. Because you don't know when you're going to get a message. It could happen at any time, and you don't know what form the message will come in. Oh my! Like God. a ring or a phone? Is that? <laughs> I think you're thinking like the ring. It can be like a big vibration, little vibration. Like. <laughs> Please, I don't really I'm know how else they put it could a ring vary, feature on it. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> I would like it if, if literally my stomach started to ring. Susan, as a mom, <laughs> your you know, stomach? You yeah, you're you know, I couldn't say the other thing, so just deal with it. Jonah, that. what do you, you think as the mom think, listening I, to this? Bottom line, anytime sex can be brought into almost any any feature, it's going to happen. You've got it already the phone, email. Yeah, it's, it's, this, it's the internet. <laughs> Mom, are you it's saying inevitable. you're not opposed to this? This is what you're telling uh, me. I think it's inevitable. You have to deal with it. I like it's it. um, it's going to happen. You well, if you it. found out that your kids were doing this, what would you? Um, well, oh, they would be so embarrassed if they knew I found out. That would be enough, I think. <laughs> you guys want? Uh, you know, mom's going to find out. <laughs> you want to be doing this? Uh, that sounds good. Yeah. So, what do you think about this? 
Topher, when you hear this, you're saying, who are these people? Uh, yeah, honestly, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to know what like what the mental state of a woman is if the man says, hey, put this thing in and I'll send you a message. The woman, it's like, sure. I don't get it. <laughs> well, on another note, um, what are in it? What would be an inappropriate use of text messages? <laughs> I think that just didn't qualify. That. Definitely, yeah, right. yes. Bre- breaking up via text messaging, I think, oh, is yeah. beyond the pale. You can't text message break up. You can't. You okay. Can't. Have you ever had a friend um, break up the uh, text message? No, it's never happened to anyone I've known that I know of. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm sure it happens, and I think it's ridiculous. Didn't Britney Spears? Break up or oh, that's supposedly. right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. she did. Yeah, there was a big With movie Kevin? that, or not yeah. a big movie, but like a three-minute movie musical that was all over Facebook for a while. This man dressed as a woman singing this song called "You Can't Text Message Breakup." I don't oh. know if anyone else saw this. No, we should have oh. had that song well, for today's show. Yeah. Well, it just went. You can't text message breakup. And that was it. That was it. But just repeating that was it the over message. and over again. That was oh, the okay. message. I no, that, w- that, that was all the lyrics. The song, <laughs> okay. So. But you know, interestingly <laughs> enough, though, Dave and Topher, you both mentioned using text messages as a way of, of not, you know, people aren't, you know, it's a way of just getting a message across. And you know, the, what is it? The less explaining you do, the better. So a text message is there's not, you know, space to explain. So, in fact, maybe it is a good way to break up. No, <laughs> I think I think <laughs> it's just so not. insulting. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're going to have some generational consensus here, even though that's typically not the case. That I mean, I think, I mean, it's the answering machine breakup. It might be even a little worse because you'd probably even use one of those like kind of kind of instead of writing Y O U, you know, you'd probably just say U N I R through T H R U. You know, I mean, you know, like that sort of thing. So I could see that just also being. Oh, God. But listen, breaking up is hard regardless. I mean, people get hurt and, you know, you can send flowers and you can write the, you know, I I love you still, whatever. But it still hurts. So maybe a text message is quick and dirty. Susan, would you, it, it God was, forbid, God forbid my husband you and the Mr. Divorce. Would you divorce text message the husband? You know what I mean? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Call like, your lawyer. Yeah, right, well, yeah, you I know, would like, text message a uh, hit man. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say something, Susan, about the – we keep hearing these stories of these teenagers sending, like, thousands upon thousands of text messages, yes. running up these huge bills. I want to – backing away from the text messages, again, who are these kids who have, like, no self-control over the financial resources they're expending on themselves? They're the same that the people parents that, have that to should pay. never have a credit card. It's that, it's that personality. They yeah. don't know where to draw the line. They're not paying attention, and they don't have the responsibility. It just doesn't – it's like my parents – if at some point my parents come down and say, hey, we're spending too much money on this, you got to cut back, I'd be like, okay, that's cool. That's but, my college fund it's coming out of. <laughs> no, but, but you know, I, I sort of am, am sympathetic, not too, to a child who runs up a $1,000 bill in a month on text messages. But if, if that child was unaware of what it was costing, I can see. I mean, we stayed at a hotel once, and they were charging, like, you know, a dollar for every half second. And we ended up, when we left that hotel, this is before cell phones, with a huge phone bill. Right. And I... I I just said, oh, my God, you know, I guess you just pay it and never do that again. You see, it might be a lesson thing. Yeah, I know. It, and when I was in Europe, they, it's much cheaper to text than it is to talk. I don't know what's oh. going on in Europe, but apparently it's very easy, very cheap to type. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's how that it was just rife with all of my students over there. It was just they could not stop text. They couldn't even, like, talk. Did they, they do even, it in the middle of your class? Oh, definitely. And what did oh, you definitely. do? I put a chair in the front of the room 
where you had to put your cell phone when you came into class. They quickly got around that, though, Susan, by <laughs> buying more cell phones. Oh. I didn't see them go down that route. <laughs> maximum, maximum cell phone in my class, four. <laughs> one of my favorite students of all time had four cell phones. Yes, totally. The fourth one did elude me for the class, though. <laughs> a, a slight deviation on the topic of, of, of talking in Europe. Apparently, Finns, I am not Finnish, but I've been told Finns don't like to talk much. They're very laconic people. And so it is no joke. You will see Finns sitting next to each other talking to each other on cell phones. No, they I don't want to talk face-to-face, I've been told, by a friend who lived in Finland. I'm Norwegian, and I think... <laughs> and speaking for Norwegians yeah, everywhere. Sp- speaking for Norwegians everywhere. Um, I, I mean, I think in Scandinavia in general, people tend to be a little bit more reticent. You know, they spend a lot of time sitting inside together in the dark, and you, you talk it all out pretty fast. Oh, my. That's the rampant sexuality in Scandinavia? <laughs> that makes, yeah, they're just I all see. having sex instead, so they don't need to talk. I see. Um, <laughs> no, but on that same, on that same note, I, I was just reading an article a little while ago about some, some bar that had this new thing. It was like note-passing the note passing bar instead of talking. So you go in and they give you little notepads and you like write notes to your date rather than talking to them in person mm-hmm. and you pass them back and forth. Which is very similar to text messaging really. I mean it's I guess it's faster for some people to text message oh, now. God. Why? Is this fingers, even when the volume level is down where you could talk? I mean there's music and stuff playing, but but the the whole idea is that if you're writing stuff down, you're thinking about it more before you're saying it, you're filtering more you can have a more eloquent conversation. And nobody says, what? Not as fearful about what you're going to say. Yeah. I think oh, times have changed. That's an interesting idea. Well, it, yeah. It certainly is different. <laughs> well, listen, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about our emails. And they're very exciting today. <laughs> On that note, we'll be right back. You're listening to What Would Your Mother Say? Coming to you live from the studios of KZSU at Stanford University. Hi, I'm Susan Morris. If you're just tuning in, this segment, we're responding to our listeners' emails. And with me on the panel to help respond is our mother, Jonah Hamilton, and Stanford students, Adam, Topher, Sarah, and joining us for the first time, Dave. Here's the first email. My girlfriend talks a lot. Too much. Her stories are incredibly long, too detailed, and sometimes, dare I say it, boring. I like her a lot, but sometimes I just need a break. What should I say to her? Max. Well, what, what should we say to Max? Tell her, I don't, what do you do when someone is boring? Maybe they're not suited for each other. Do you if think? You don't have anything interesting to say, then don't say anything at all. <laughs> well, yeah, but this person, uh, thinks that she does have something interesting to say. Sounds like a lack of compatibility. I don't want to yeah. break it to poor Maxie Max, but uh, Maximilian might have to might have to go a separate ways here. I don't know how you broach that subject. I mean, it's like you're boring. No, yeah. like I don't like your personality. How do you? How do you like? <laughs> can we work on that? Just go ahead and just tweak it a little bit for me. I'm thinking that they could be compatible, but maybe she does have a problem of making the stories go on forever, and that's something you can work on with somebody. But if the, if it's a story, they just don't get along with the topics. Period. Then, yeah. you think as a mother that you'd say you're wasting your time with this person? No, I think I, I think what you need to do is bring up the topic of um, you know talk it out a little bit before you call it quits. Mm-hmm. There are people that have problems with knowing when they've gone on too long. Do you think someone can can quit talking, Dave? Well, I think uh, one answer might be to do activities together that you could talk about together later and have stories you know that you're sharing instead of just listening to her stupid stories from high school like go play miniature golf and 
fall in the hazard or something. I mean, do something together that you can then <laughs> laugh about <laughs> together later instead of just trading, you know, separate stories. Yeah, that I sounds th- like a good idea. I think this this might be a matter of, of, of expectation. Like, I would I love to talk about military strategy and football strategy <laughs> and all this kind of stuff, but I would never expect to be able to talk with my girlfriend about that for an extended period of time. So the guy might have to very very uh, surreptitiously say, you know, I'm not interested in your sorority gossip or your mother's habit or whatever it is that she's talking about. If he can get on something really specific that that he doesn't like about these stories to say, look, you know, I'm not interested in this. We're not going to, like, you know, share moments over this. So why don't we talk about something else? Maxie's girlfriend should get on the radio. That's what she should do. (laughs) Because when you get on the radio, you get tired of hearing yourself talk. So you go home. She'll be tired. That's that's yes, Topher. You pointed me. That's exactly right. People are like, "Shut up!" And I was like, "I'm going to the radio." That's where I'm get, going. You know, my friends say the same thing to you me. See that, Susan? Yeah. That's <laughs> now I had a friend who we would do things together, and we'd be telling you know telling others about our adventures, and she, her stories would be so much better than mine about this experience. And I look at her and say, "That's not the way it happened." didn't matter. It was a better story. So now she's become a writer. She's putting a book together. I'm saying, right on, right on. But it was very frustrating to hear her tell her Professional story. Professional liars are, are, Perf- are nonfiction writers. Well, don't let truth stand or in the way of a good story, writer. right? <laughs> but yeah, so you're all saying that this is, a, this is a dicey subject. But I agree with Jonah. Maybe it's a mother perspective that, you know, if there are, if there are enough things that work with this couple that, cl- that click, then it's worth trying to figure, you know, to work this out or to say something diplomatic. You could take, if, if someone has a long paragraph that they're talking, you could take a, a sentence or an idea or a component and say, hey, that's really interesting, and then see You don't it. hurt feelings I, I, that I think way. they're fundamentally incompatible. Okay. I, but you don't know what they've I been think, talking about. I think about. the way you talk and, and what you're talking optimist. about is so, is so essential to your personality. I just, I it, think that if he isn't interested in what she has to say, then they're not going to work together, mm. especially in the long term. Okay, well, now we're going to go back to a topic that we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, which was package adjustment. You guys know what we're talking about? <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. I, Dave might, Dave wasn't here on the oh, panel. So, oh. why, Susan, why don't you just catch him up to speed <laughs> on what we mean by package adjustment? I'm, I'm turning this over to my producer, Sarah. Sarah, you tell Dave about package. I think Dave knows very well what package adjustment is, Susan. Oh, okay. So I don't think you need me to reiterate it. Oh, okay. Well, well, now you know, I don't know if the, the audience does because I'm. I can only imagine that you mean changing your yourself physically at least the way you look yes okay so this is <laughs> okay good where guess. the debate came in was whether or not the package adjustment was happening inside the pants or outside the pants mm. because that made a huge difference in propriety we were saying outside the pants adjustment it's two kind of people in this world can be okay yeah there are two kinds of people it says a huge amount about you that's where you decide to go well okay so now, what's the question okay people? the question is is there a female equivalent and if so what is yes. it and when is it appropriate <laughs> my my girlfriend uh, is been known to keep her hands down her pants, constantly slouching <laughs> in the car at the movies. I don't know what she's doing. <laughs> now down we there. know why it's his girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Dave, what is she adjusting? Yeah, what is she adjusting? <laughs> I, think yeah, it's more, I think it's more just a laid-back kind of hands in a nice warm place. In the pockets you know. or no, no, in no, the no. pants? Down, down the, the very front, under the underwear. Uh, you know, I, she's a freshman. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that explains it. it that, but uh, Sarah, what do you think? Um, I, mean, I, I would have said the female equivalent is is like breast adjustment. You know, like the boob is falling out of the bra. You whop it back into place or something. But 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't think it's... I, I okay, don't this is what we true. do. Men will make this decision. If you guys will leave the breasts hanging out, <laughs> we will not package adjust anymore. <laughs> we won't do it. Guys, I'll second that. Deal. Thank you. Done. Dave, you're in. Deal. You're in. <laughs> oh, my that. God. So, do we all just agree to stop wearing underwear also? Is that what, <laughs> you know, if that is something that you need to that do, we'll be fine with that also. If, that is, uh, if that's the, 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 the line you're The only way we can arrive at a solution. Sure. Well... Gee, uh, you know, have have you seen these new these Hollywood stars now who look like they have grapefruits or cantaloupes or honeydew melons now for breasts? Do you mean breast implants? Yes, I mean breast <laughs> implants. Now, completely off the subject of adjusting your package. What do you guys think of these um, these? Huge breast implants. Guys, do not make a comment. This is a trap question. <laughs> you can't win. This is like the do you can't I look win. Fat question. Isn't it? You can't. I'm just telling them. Oh no, I I won't make any judgment on what your response is, Dave. Not not attractive. Not uh, attractive. Good answer, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you have to lie. He's learned. It's just an, it's 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 a good. I, I, I want to cite actually the judgment of a friend of mine, a female friend who was a classmate of Adams at Virginia, incidentally, who said um one time I hugged this girl who had um breast implants and I was like, is like my purse in between us or something? And uh, I I have to agree with my roommate. It's, it's the, the whole thing's just disgusting. Strangely enough, uh, you know what? I'm going to have to separate on this opinion from my feather, fellow men here. I'm going to go ahead and just play devil's advocate, be a guy that's positive on breast implants. You know what? <laughs> it's weird. This is, this is what I'll do. I'll do this because you guys are being honest. This is what I'll do. I, I want to actually say one thing on this um, to broaden the perspective. <laughs> There, there is a lot of difference. Part of my, the thing I find weird about breast implants is the vanity and this kind of stuff. But we're talking about women with cancer, with mastectomy, who like feel more womanly when they get implants. And I'm totally cool with that. Go ahead. It's just when, if if you don't feel like a woman because what God gave you isn't enough for you, I think that's a little yeah. I'm matter. in general, I'm okay with it. I'm not offended by women getting breast implants. I isn't there a really line to be them. drawn though? That there's, I think probably all of us can say that that's beauty. That's beautiful. That's outrageous, and that is gross. <laughs> have, how about you, Adam? Okay, I mean, is there a line there. where you're just like, that is ridiculous? Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. I mean, I mean, on some level, I mean, I, I was just about to say everything in moderation, nothing in excess, but I think the breast implants are firmly ensconced on the excess side of things. But, you know, I want to know, moms, if your daughters got breast implants, what the take would be. If they come to you in a very mature, I mean, they're not 14 years old. I mean, you know, if they're 22, I don't know what they... What, when do people get breast implants? Twenty-two. Twenty-two. What would what would be the thoughts? Okay. Um, I have I have sons, but if I had a daughter, I think okay. If they wanted I w- breast implants, <laughs> <laughs> I have to go with the idea that I think most people that want to change themselves are doing this because of a self identity kind of thing, and it's something deep. It's not. It's not necessarily just a vanity thing. It might be your whole body self image, and it's something that is a need. Mm-hmm. So it has to be addressed also. Well, so I you're positive. You're uh, positive. Yeah, I, I, so. I would too. I mean, I think some some girls, they're out of proportion, just as you can have breasts that are too big and you need to have breast reduction. I think having a, a breast, no, a, a having breast um, implants would, would make sense. I, I don't know. But listen, I, I want, we're running out of time, but I do want to ask this one last question. This came from a law student, okay? And he says, uh, dear panel, okay, it's about time for graduation. You're a senior. You're close to graduation. Soon you'll be gone. There are lots of people you've been attracted to for a long time. Soon you'll never see them again. Will you sleep with them? <laughs> <laughs> 
How many of them and how often? And this is from our law student. Is he looking for candidates, like volunteers or what? No, no, definitely he's asking wise. sort of he thing. Definitely was. Looking for candidates. It sounds like it's my last chance. So, you know, but well, no, no. I thought that what he was saying is, oh, well, yeah, maybe he's going to yeah, go up to all he's saying, he's saying the stakes are low, so why not go for it? Yeah, go up. And there to- is there is a germ of truth here. I mean, there is. I mean, you are real. I mean, you. I suppose if you really went out of your way to visit them in Anchorage, you know, you could probably go visit them. But you know, you're, we're all here now. We're in close proximity now. We're all drinking together now. Right. You know? Right. There's only how many more weeks? Three, Three weeks three. left. Weeks. Okay. So we, we should tell our, our law student, go for it. And how do you approach someone who you haven't really had a date with that you want to, you know, hook up? I, I would say, contrary to the theory that you should go do the harder problems first, kind of like the SATs, do the easy ones you can do first. Mm. Go to the people oh, you think God. have the best chance God, that with. is wisdom. <laughs> Boy, spitting truth rack over there. up all the notches there. And then, you know, throw your Hail Mary the lot, you know, night before graduation. <laughs> Don't man. go to the, the girl who's not going to... Run the ball, good things it. will happen. I like it. Exactly. Girls? I'm totally appalled. I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> Jonah, the moms. Well, there, there's different ways of looking at this. What do you want out of something like this? And there's two people that are going to be dealing with this, right? You and the other person. Are you just there for no strings, good time? Are you realizing that you might start liking that person, and then it's bye bye time, disappointment, or uh, you know, you are you actually thinking there might be you know something that might come of this? I got to think, think that, that out a little bit. I don't think guys think about those last options. Do you, you might like the person? Do you? I nobody wants to be called in Anchorage from some girl <laughs> taking the Amtrak up through and and, you know, and being Vancouver. called. Hey, I'm pregnant. That too. Oh my God! That. You had to take it that last step, didn't you, Susan? <laughs> the mother always of has to cover. Of not the- using protection. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I just didn't want anything to happen. All right, so so we would say to our law student, as I said, go for it and. As long as, as, long as everybody yeah, understands what it, that it's just for a good I think time, the boys last say go for it. I think the girl on the receiving end is not going to be too thrilled when she. I think she ought to know this plan. that that's yeah. the attitude. Just okay. go, you know, okay. if, if you both agree with that. Joan, I'm a little concerned that strategically that might not be a savvy strategy, but just that's yeah. a fun yeah, one. Because of the ulterior motive. Right. right. You don't want to be too honest. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, thanks. Uh, thanks for all of you coming on the show today. And as always, a lively discussion. Uh, it was good to have you all here. Uh, Jonah, Adam, Topher, Sarah, and David, and earlier for Jackie. Uh, for the record, the opinions you hear on What Would Your Mother Say do not represent those of KCSU or Stanford University. They're not intended to be a substitute for professional advice and or counseling. Today's show was put together with help from Mark Lawrence, Sally McCurtain, and Jane Adair. Kyle Wolf is our engineer. Sarah Buer is the producer. I'm the executive producer. Let us know what you thought of tonight's program by going to our website, whatwouldyourmothersay.net. We love hearing from our listeners. Thank you for your emails. Keep sending them to what would your mother say at kzsu.stanford.edu. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. And remember, call your mom. I'm Susan Morris.